And the Lord visited Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did for Sarah as he had spoken. For Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the set time of which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called on the name of his, called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. Then Abraham circumcised his son, Isaac, when he was eight days old. And as God had commanded him. Now Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made me laugh and all who hear will laugh with me. She also said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? For I have borne him a son in his old age. So the child grew and was weaned. And on the day that Abraham gave a great feast on the same day that Isaac was weaned. And Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, scoffing. Therefore, she said to Abraham, cast out this bondwoman and her son, for the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, namely with Isaac. And the matter was very displeasing in Abraham's sight because of his son. But God said to Abraham, do not let it be displeasing in your sight because of the lad or because of your bondwoman. Whatever Sarah has said to you, listen to her voice, for in Isaac your seed shall be called. Yet I will make a nation of this son of the bondwoman because he is your seed. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and putting it on her shoulder, he gave it and the boy to Hagar and set her on her way. Then she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. And the water and the skin was used up and she placed the boy under one of the shrubs and she went and sat down across from him about the distance of a bow shot. And she said to herself, let me not see the death of the boy. And she sat opposite him and lifted her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the lad. And the angel of God called to Hagar out of heaven and said to her, what ails you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the lad where he is. Arise, lift up the lad and hold him with your hand, for I will make him a great nation. And then God opened her eyes. And she saw a well of water. And she went and filled the skin with water and gave it to the lad for a drink. And God was with the lad. And he grew and dwelt in the wilderness and became an archer. He dwelt in the wilderness of Paran. And his mother took a wife from him from the land of Egypt. And it came to pass in that time that Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, spoke to Abraham, saying, God is with you in all that you do. Now therefore swear to me by God that you will not deal falsely with me or with my offspring or with my posterity, but that according to the kindness in which I have done to you, you will do to me and to the land in which you have dwelt. Abraham said, I will swear. Then Abraham rebuked Abimelech because of a well of water which Abimelech's servants had seized. Then Abimelech said, I do not know who has done this thing. You didn't tell me, nor had I heard this until today. So Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech, and the two of them made a covenant. And Abraham had seven ewe lambs of the flock by themselves. Abimelech asked Abraham, What is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs in which they have been set by themselves? And he said, You will take these seven ewe lambs from my hand, and they will be my witness that I have dug this well. Therefore they called the place Beersheba. Now perhaps you're aware of the fact beer means well. Shiva means seven or covenant. So it's seventh well or the well of the covenant. So Abimelech rose with Phicol 
the commander of his army, and they returned to the land of the Philistines. Then Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba, and he called on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And Abraham stayed in the land of the Philistines many days. You pray with me, please. God, thank you so much for your word here. I pray, Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit, it would explode open and come alive before us. Father, you have promised as snow falls down to the ground and does not rise up again without watering the ground it lands on, causing it to bud and flourish, bringing seed to the sower and bread to the one who eats. God, you promised, so is your word. It never returns to you empty, but will accomplish all that you desire for it to do. So Lord, I I recognize today your word has an agenda. And that agenda involves us. You've told us in your word that we are to meekly receive your word in planting it upon ourselves, inculcating it upon ourselves, that it would save us, that we would grow thereby, that we would be matured and equipped and edified. You've told us that your word is perfect, breathed by you, useful for correcting and rebuking and training in righteousness, that every one of us would be thoroughly equipped for every good work. God, do your work today. For wherever we need correction, correct us. Wherever we need challenging and exhortation, challenge and exhort us, I pray. Wherever we need encouragement and uplifting, and, and Lord, just, just soothing and finding peace, speak those words to us today. Speak to every one of us right where we're at so that there would be none of us that would be askew and, and, and deaf to what it is you want to tell us today. And God, I just pray, as you know, everything about us, every vapor of water in our breath, every speck of dust under our shoes, Lord, you know the the dirt under our nails and where it came from and how we got it there. Lord, I just pray that you would remove every sliver from our soul. And I pray, Lord, that you would cause us today to do exactly as you intend, to live an abundant life in you, to thrive and not just to strive. Lord, to, to exist and to, to live life and not just exist robotically, but Lord, to, to live the type of life that others would, would ask what hope that we have in you. Lord, to live the kind of life that challenges those walking with their eyes closed, to open their eyes to the one who, who is, is the giver of life and is the light of the world. So Lord, now I pray for each of us, Minister, Father, immerse me in your spirit that I would disappear. Fill me to overflowing that we don't just trickle, but God, that you would douse and deluge this precious fellowship with your spirit, with your presence today. And I pray you would minister to and through me. Now I pray, God, please, Father in heaven, love us, minister to us, but don't leave us alone. Let it be a time, Lord, where we have fun in your word and it makes so much sense. And Lord, that we take it and we live it the way you intend. And if there be any who have yet to know you, Lord, let this be the time, this be the day of their salvation as I commit this to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. I would say this morning as I would any, please don't just believe me. Don't just assume it's true because I say so. Search the Scriptures. Let the Bible always be your authority. Not me, not some institution, but the Word of God. Now, it's been a rocky road, and I want you to recognize, even in the first two verses, how God made really specific on three occasions in two verses, just as he had said, just as he had spoken, by which God had spoken to him. Three different times in the first two verses, God said, look at I said it, booyah, 
I brought it to pass. Now that's a loose paraphrase, but you get the idea. And it's been a long road. It's been nine chapters from promise to fulfillment. And I want you to walk, walk with me on this for a second because God said, I said it, and here it is, I did it. Now what's interesting is God said it in chapter 12. So what I'm going to have you do with me for a moment is we're going to walk through this, these, this walk with him for a second. So flip to 12, and we're going to read a lot of verses on our way. This is what we might call sort of a reminiscent montage. You know, that's like, here is Abraham, the baby's born, and he's kind of gravitating to where he came from and all of this. So read it with me. Because God said, look, I promised it and here I am. Now, God could have just promised it in chapter 12, could have fulfilled it at the end of chapter 12, and we would have had nine chapters of God having to be faithful and patient and dealing with his humanity, that's what makes this so beautiful and profound is that God didn't pick a person perfect. If God had said, look, I got this awesome promise and then he brings it to pass, we would have built crazy doctrines about how perfect Abraham was or how infinitely ripe he was for such a great promise. Instead of he was an ordinary human being out of an idol-worshiping house that God was patient with, loving, and continued to walk with. And it just with every day, there was another opportunity to display faith because it hadn't come to pass yet. Well, let me show you. Chapter 12, verse 1. The Lord God had said to Abram, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to the land I will show you. And here's his promise. I'll make you a great nation. I'll bless you. Make your name great. You shall be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. What a fantastic promise. In other words, God's like, I'm going to make you the man. The whole world is going to be touched by you. Now understand, because we have so much of Abraham's life, one of the beautiful parts about it is how incredibly human he is, or credibly human. And because of that, as I look at this, I realize there is no reason why God couldn't say that to any, or for that matter, all of us. I mean, I look at this guy and I think, what a fantastic grace that was poured upon this man. But what if the Lord said that to you? I'm going to use you to touch the world. Would you say, no, uh impossible. God says, why don't you read the story of Abraham? You go, well, you don't understand. I struggle and I've got weaknesses. And God's like, you should read the story of Abraham. Now, understand, God lists out his humanity prayerfully so that he doesn't have to list our hours. And truth be told, the more we see him struggle, the more we, well, the more we relate to him, don't we? I mean, God lists these things and he does them unapologetically. In chapter 12, he winds up at the terebinth tree of Morah. And look at verse 7. And the Lord God, or Lord, appeared to Abraham and he said, To your descendants I will give this land. So he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. Chapter 13. Now he's gone down to Egypt, if you remember, lied and said, Well, you know, a half-truth is still a full-blown lie. That's the way I've heard it said. Uh, you know, he goes down. This is my sister. It isn't my wife. And Pharaoh takes her um, as Pharaoh's would. And with that, then there's this... Of course, God plagues Pharaoh, and you just kind of get the idea that, boy, when these guys show up in Egypt, it's just a bad deal. And he sends her off, and he, and he sends him off, and when he sends off, Abraham restores his wife to him, gives him lots of other stuff, and part of that other stuff he gives him is maidservants, of which is going to be this little dandy gal named Hagar. And with that, he heads back up into the land of Israel, and as he heads up into that area, he has to separate from his nephew Lot, uh, Lot takes the, the valley, the, uh, the valley of Sodom and Gomorrah, is where uh, Abraham takes the area west of that. And it says, after they had separated, in verse 14, now understand, God said that in the beginning, separate from your family. He's waited this long for all of that. And you could think at this point, God could have said, 
did not I say to you, this was what was required of you? But there's no big chiding and arguing. God's like, I'll, I'll wait. It's at your detriment, not mine. But as he had separated, verse 14, as the Lord had said to Abraham, and the Lord had said to Abraham, after Lot had separated from him, Lift your eyes now and look at the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, westward, and to the land that I will. He says, For all of this land I will give you and your descendants forever, and I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, so that if a man could number the dust of the earth, so could your descendants be numbered. Arise, walk the land through its length and its width, for I have given it to you. And from that then Abram heads down to Hivron, to the terebinth trees of Mamre. Chapter 14, Lot having made that a trip down into the valley, a bad valley, might I say. Uh, and as it is the case, they're taken captive. And again, Abram has to go down and rescue the entire valley, not just his nephew, but the entire valley. And as he does, he heads to chapter 15, victorious of all of that. And he starts to try to bargain with God. Now, this is one of the reasons I believe God says what he does in chapter 21. Because what he said in chapter 15 is he starts to bargain. He goes, well, look it. You said there was going to be a promise that I would be this father. Well, technically, if someone's born in my house, technically I'm a father to him. Technically. Why don't you just take Eleazar? Now, Eleazar, by the way, means God the helper. And in that, God's like, no, I don't need your help with this. I don't need you to, to technically work this out. Now, we understand there's a part of God's promise where we tie, because we so desperately want to make it our strength, our ability, or at least, might I just say that's my problem, maybe it's not yours, but, but in the sense that God kind of lays out these beautiful mysteries, and I feel like my job is to figure them out completely, and then once I figure them out, I'll figure out what I have to do, and instead of God creating things that are impossible, and then after creating them impossible, He just says, look at in faith, I want you just to trust this is the way it's going to be, and you won't understand it until you get there and then when you get there you can go oh but i'm going to wait until it's impossible and once it's impossible then i'm going to bring it to pass so that you don't play the well clearly that was uh, not really a miracle well you know clearly that was just man's brilliance or our conniving or our ability to work together as a team i mean it is amazing to this day how many things we want to take credit for that god did that was a miracle that we belittled down to basically something we kind of figured out and did and if you if you're honest with yourself we'll find that that becomes almost an everyday part of our life if we're not careful like things that god does that we just kind of somehow want to take a little bit of credit for I mean, after all, it, it happened through me or by me or around me or near me. And I don't know why we need to be a part of the formula. God included this in it because he loves us, not because we deserve it. So he says, hey, well, what about this Eleazar? Why don't you take him? And God's like, well, you see, what this tells me at this point is it's making less and less sense to Abraham that a child could possibly be born by him. And because it's making less and less sense, and he's trying to figure it out like we would, he's going to try to figure out another plan. Well, maybe what God really meant was... You ever do that? God says something. I've learned this. God never criticizes anyone who takes him literally. When we get to like the book of Revelation, for instance, and, and God... Well, let's just say this. When God got to this, these beautiful prophecies about Israel becoming a nation again, before 1940s, everyone had all kinds of ideas of what that could possibly mean. 
Oh, we as the church, well, we're Israel, obviously, so we could seize all of the promises. We won't take those curses, but we'll take the promises. And it's amazing how we kind of jump all of stuff. And what's happening is someone's trying to figure it out. Instead of, to be honest, there's really nothing wrong with saying, I have no idea. I just know when we look back, it'll make sense. But listen, please hear me on this. If we knew that that you were free to do that, you actually might share Jesus with people. Because I think one of the reasons we don't is we're so afraid that someone asks, oh, yeah, well, and we're afraid we won't say, I I don't know. And the people go, oh, well, you're obviously too dumb to. Or is it that there's something gloriously refreshing in actually telling people you don't know? I mean, why do you think people use the where was who was Cain's wife deal? Well, who was Cain's wife? Like, you know, they think, well, they is the people you're sharing with often they know atheists will know that there's certain things you just can't answer because they're just not in Scripture. But I love to kind of play that game anyways. So they'll go, so who was Cain? So I'll go, Lechaba. And they'll go, what? Lechaba. Now what? Because then they don't know what to do. Because it's kind of like Christian pepper spray. Oh yeah, who was Cain's wife? Shh. And you're like, oh, okay, I can't share with you now because you did the Cain's wife spray. I'm like, Lechaba. Do you want to give your, give your life to Christ now? Who? Lechaba. I mean, you know, like I believe. I mean, or you call someone, and I believe that Jesus had nanobots, little tiny robots, and that allowed him to do. And you have to say, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. You, that takes more faith than to believe what the Bible says. <laughs> so, was Jesus time traveler? Was he just so brilliant that he was able to inject in him nanobots? Then, I mean, anyways, the whole point of all of that is, is that we get to this point where we read something, and we're like, ah, oh, we got to figure it out. <gasps> I figured it out. It says that this. The, in, in the book of Revelation, that the abyss is opened up and smoke comes up like the smoke of a furnace and these things fly out and they've got like bodies like a scorpion and they fly and it's, but it's got a man's face and these teeth that are like lions and long hair. And someone goes, well, I know what that is. That's a helicopter. What if, what if it was actually a freaky looking flying scorpion-looking thing with the face of a guy and hair. But what I've just learned about that is if you actually take it the way it is, God actually, he knows how to say, well, it's kind of like that, but not that. And he also knows how to say, well, that's the best example. John's trying to, I mean, imagine demons in the book of Luke are saying, please don't send me to the abyss. And they open up the abyss and these things come out. I go, I kind of get why they wouldn't want to go there. How about you? Like, let's look at the brochure. Okay, not that place for our holiday. And everyone's trying to do the same thing, just like we would. You know, God, it's, just, it's starting to make less and less sense. I mean, 75, that was weird. But, I mean, we're getting older here. I mean, I mean, at the point now where I'm getting all of this stuff for retirement and, you know, people are trying to sell me pills and hair transplants and, uh, you know, and I, I don't know, they said I should be playing golf and wearing white pants in Miami or something. And, and I'm, I'm thinking, well, you know, maybe there's got to be, maybe, did I hear you right? Chapter 15, verse 1, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision and said, Don't be afraid, I'm your shield, your exceedingly great reward. Abraham's answer to that is, So where's my kid? Verse 4, Behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said, This one's not going to be your heir. He's offering Eleazar, the Syrian. And he says, But one who will come from your own body will be your heir. And at that point, you kind of go, oh, That's really strange. I'm getting older, you know. And he brought him outside, and he said, Now look toward heaven and count the stars if you're able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. 
And he believed the Lord. He said, okay, well, there you go. It's, weird, it's weirder than I originally thought, but it's okay. And we read that God accounted it to him for righteousness. And then he said to him, I'm the Lord, verse 7. I'm the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to inherit it. And then he performs the covenant. Chapter 15, verse 13, in that covenant, he says, Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in the land, a land that's not theirs. They'll serve him and afflict him for 400 years. He's telling them about Egypt. And also the nation whom I will serve, I'm sorry, whom they, whom they serve, I will judge. Afterward, they will come out with great possessions. Now, stop for a second. Those, that's one of those places where you just go, okay, that's kind of a paradox. So let me see if I have this right. We're going to go to a land that's not ours. Okay, that's believable. And then we'll be enslaved in that land for 400 years. Four centuries we'll be slaves. We're going to be slaves there for four centuries. Okay, I don't like it, but it sounds, it makes sense. And then you're going to come out and everyone that was your boss is going to give you all of their stuff and you're going to walk out. And you're like, okay, my logic just crashed. And it made sense until that point. So you're going to be a slave for 400 years, and then you're going to come out really, really rich. Because we all know slaves, the moment they're released, always come out really... No, they never come out rich. They come out happy to be free. That's enough. I'll dig a hole and call it my own, and I'm happy with that. And at that point, you can see God saying, what do you think of that one? You see him going, okay, okay. He says, but, verse, 14, verse 15, Now as for you, you will go to your fathers in peace, and you will be buried at a good old age. But in the fourth generation, they will return here, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Look around you, the people that are living here, at this point there is still hope for them, but there will be a moment where their hearts will get so hard, they will never say yes to me. And at that point, you're coming in. Chapter 15, verse 18, On the same day the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, and he said, To your descendants I have given this land. Now, up to this point, has he said it enough for you? Hasn't he said that but four more times before this already? This land, remember this land you're standing on? I'm going to give it to you. Oh, yeah, by the way, the land you're standing on? I'm going to give it to you. Oh, yeah, walk any direction you want. Because the land, I'm going to give it to you. Now, sooner or later, you kind of think, maybe what God's trying to say is, I'm going to give you the land. Not, I wonder what that really means. I wonder what that means in the Hebrew. Well, obviously, since they're speaking Hebrew, it seems like that would probably not have to be a problem. So look at And he even gives dimensions. I'm going to give it to your descendants. I've given this land from the, the, great, from the river of Egypt. What river is that, by the way? The Nile in Egypt. To the great river, the river Euphrates. Does anyone know where that is today? You know that's a lot of space. Have you ever known Israel to possess that much land? No. Matter of fact, Israel's never possessed that much land, but God says, uh, you're going to get that. Which means if it hasn't come to pass yet, do you know what that means? It's still on the slate to happen. There's going to be a day when some go, well, really, what I, I think what the Euphrates means is I think there was probably a stream somewhere about that it sounds kind of like the Jordan. Maybe they mean the Jordan. And God's like, no, no, I meant the great river. That's not a little thing. That's a big river. 
Well, we all know that in the, back in Eden, there was the river Euphrates. It was one of the four, and it probably was here. And, and now that's another Euphrates. So this is probably, why limit God when God says, how about something really strange? How about I deliver you from that addiction? And you go, wow, that sounds really cool. But what you probably mean is I'll only have to struggle with it less. And you can see God looking and going, what? That makes more sense to you. You're dealing with an almighty God and you kind of got, well, I'll just sort of. I know, God, you promised abundant life, but that probably means just a little bit better than I have it. And then look at God. And I just wonder how many times God just like wants to shield the ears of all the angels who might be listening in on the conversation. And because you can see them going, this is, this is your man. This is him, right? Yeah, it's, Thanks, God, I've got big faith, Lord, because I knew you're going to do something really cool and little. God, you did that way back then. And I know it says you're the same yesterday, today, and forever, but God, you really wouldn't bring a revival today, would you? You wouldn't save my family, would you? So I probably shouldn't preach, because what difference is it going to make? Well, one thing's for sure. If there's one way to not have a harvest, it's just don't plant seeds. It's a bigger miracle, wouldn't be, if you kind of went out there and went, wow. But I've learned this. If the land is, if the, if the heart is fertile, like soil is fertile, it will grow something. And if you don't plant something, something else will land there and grow there. But then you not only have to, well, now you have to weed that out and then plant. And God help us. So I'm going to give you this big land. Verse 19, it says, then the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, the Jebusites, Samsonites, Parasites and all the other things that will be removed. Chapter 16, by the way, for what it's worth, dealing with Hagar. Look in verse 11. Hagar, it says, The angel of the Lord said, Now here's a promise, by the way, made to her. Behold, you're with child, and now you'll bear a son. By the way, when she does become pregnant, oh, you might want to note this. Here's our second compromise, right? The first is, well, Okay, you said, you know, technically, Dad, this guy's like, I'm kind of, t- he calls me Papa. You know, it didn't come from me, but he calls me Papa. God's like, how about you just take me literally? And then they're like, okay, well, let's read those words carefully to see if there's another loophole that makes more sense. Because now more time is elapsing, and as more time is elapsing, now it's Sarah's turn to jump in. And she goes, you know, I was reading this script, and it looked on the script. You know, the one thing that was missing from this script was was me. I didn't see me in that verse. It said from you, I'm assuming you was you, and you're getting old, but um, I, I, I'm i not even ovulating. I, there's no way I'm going to be able to have a baby. It's, you know, and, and so you know what? I've got a fertile maidservant. Maybe that's because technically she's kind of part of me, and if you have the baby and she, I hold her on my knee and, Compromise number two. Have you learned when you try to help God out, you wind up paying the bill for it? Do you really think God needs your help? Oh, God. Thanks for recruiting me. I'm sure that was a smart move. God's like, not at this moment it isn't. But the moment that that girl becomes pregnant, she starts to look with great disdain at Sarah as now the boy is in our chapter. Like the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Behold, but he says to her, Behold you with now. She's, this is the first time she's been kicked out of the camp. She actually will be removed permanently in the chapter we're in. 
But the Lord says, Behold, you're with child, and you shall bear a son. You'll call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has heard, like Shema means to hear. Because the Lord has heard your affliction. Behold, he will be a wild man. His hand will be against every man, and every man's hand against him. Now, it means he will be born, and he will be, his family will become enemy to the world, and the world will become enemy to him. And he shall dwell in the presence of his brothers. Where is the promise? Chapter 17, verse 1, Abraham was 99 years old. Now it's completely impossible outside of God. And God says, I'm Almighty God. That's important. Because at this point now, it's impossible. And that's what God loves you to be in. That place where you go, this is impossible. This is impossible. God says, for you, yes, it's impossible. I like it in that state, because when it's impossible for you, then only I get the credit, God speaking. The Lord does not like to compete with you over what he does for credit for it. And I, and, and I, I just see how many times the Lord waits until it really is impossible, because otherwise you're still not going to give him credit. If For what it's worth, if you look in Romans 1, you'll find that when it says the wrath of God is being revealed against the wickedness and godlessness of men who suppress the truth by their own ungodliness, because what is about God is clear. Man's invisible attributes, his divine qualities, his eternal godhood are clearly seen by what God has made. He's revealed it in them, so man is without excuse. And even though they knew God, they knew who he was, they were neither thankful nor gave him credit for what he had done, but rather instead than exchanged the glory of an immortal God for created things. Man, beasts, creeping things. And so God gave them up, gave them over. You see, even there it says that the wrath of God that's being revealed is of a man that basically just trades in God and says, you know what, yeah, this is, look at all this stuff, but I'm not going to give you credit for it. I'll give myself credit for it. Or I'll give credit to this evolution thing or whatever. It's actually what God says. That's the beginning of all sin boils down to basically this. You trade God in for something else. You won't give him credit, and therefore you won't be thankful. Why would you be thankful to someone that has no credit? And in that, that's what we're starting to see in a lot of these cases, that challenge. When God waits till it's impossible, the only one who can get credit is him. You ever wonder why you say, God, you have to do this thing, and if you don't do it by 12 o'clock today, it's hopeless. And God says, well, okay, so you're saying hopeless is 12 o'clock? Well, I'm not going to even move till 12.01 then. So you might want to be careful how you tell God that. I mean, think about it, because God's like, when it's hopeless, then I can be a way out when there's no way. When I could be hope when it's hopeless, I can be strength when you're strengthless. And I can understand why it says that Jesus loved Mary and Martha, and so he waited for Lazarus to die. Like, and they said, you know, if you'd have shown up, this could have gotten better. If you'd have shown up while he was still alive, but now he's dead. He stinketh. And Jesus is like, perfect. Well, I guess we're all on the same page. In other words, this is impossible unless divinity steps in. Mm -hmm. Perfect. There you go. Jesus is like, I guess I'm the only one qualified to do it now. So in chapter 17, verse 4, he says, Behold, my covenant is with you. You'll be the father of many nations. He says, No longer will your name be Abram, but I'll call you Abraham. I made you the father of many nations. Thus is what his name means. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations out of you, and kings will come from you, and I'll establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants, you and your descendants and your generations. It's an everlasting covenant. I'll be your God, 
And your descendants after you will be their God as well. Also, I'll give you and your descendants this land, just in case you missed the other 15 times I told you, in which you're a stranger. All the land of Canaan as an everlasting possession. I will be their God. And then he talks about things. Then he says, look, you're going to need to circumcise. And God said to Abraham, as for Sarah, your wife, let's not call her Sarai, let's call her Sarah. And I'll bless her, and I'll give her a son. It's going to come from her. Because why in the world would I actually need your help to sin? If you have to sin to help make my will come to pass, you obviously got it wrong. And it's like, you're going to try to step out of a marriage to try to make this thing happen? You are clearly not following my will. And the moment you think you have to help God out by doing something that's wrong, does that sound, does it make any sense to you? You know what's sad is how many times it will make sense in the moment. But it doesn't make sense to God. It shouldn't make sense. And so in verse 17, it says, Abraham fell on his face and he laughed. Shall a child be born to a man who's 100 years old? So Sarah at 90 bear a child? God says, Sarah will bear that son and you'll call his name Isaac. You need to recognize that. So you go, God, God says, I'll make a deal. If the child really is born, will you call him Isaac? Yitzchak. What does that mean? It means laughter. What a great name. Wouldn't you love that name? And there's a lot of names. My, my dad actually wanted to name me Dirk. I'm really glad that never happened. Yeah, that's, just whole, that's close to a whole lot of really bad names to be called. Wanted to name me Three-Cornered Dunghill. Like, mmm. What's your name? Laughter. Why do they call you Laughter. Well, why don't you ask my dad? Hey, dad, come on in here. Okay, I'll be there in a minute. <laughs> wow, you got to see your great grandpa's still alive. No, that's my dad. I mean, imagine what it would be like at parent teacher conferences. Hey, can I invite you to my dad's birthday? Sure, we're going to have it outside. Why? Because he's going to try to blow out his birthday candles. You can't do that inside. It caught the last thatch roof on fire. How old is your dad? Oh, he's 110, 150. What? That's laughter. And she's like, yeah. You need to recognize both mom and dad will laugh over this. And I love, I, and the whole point of that, God looks and he goes, it is that funny, isn't it? I don't think that God thinks it's a horrible thing when we look and go, this is insane. And God's like, perfect. I mean, what insane means is it's just beyond your ability to comprehend. That's usually what that means. You know, we use the word incredible. Think about what that word means. Incredible mean, credible means someone that's trusting, that you trustable. I mean, that means that the information is something that actually is more than likely true. Incredible really means it's not possibly believable. I don't like it when we say, God, you're so incredible. He's totally credible. If there's anyone that's credible. But you mean, what we're actually saying is that you really, you, you, your stuff's so huge, it's, it's beyond really figuring out. And there's some people that want to go, you know what, to be honest, because I can't figure you out, clearly you must not be God. And God's like, so in other words, I have to be small enough to be fully understood by you to be your God. If God was small enough to fit into my tiny mind, he wouldn't be big enough to solve all my problems. So wrapping all of that up, we'll get into chapter 18. That's Sodom and Gomorrah in regards to Abraham. And that's where he says it in Sarah laughs. Chapter 19, it's Sodom and Lot now. Chapter 20, then that's Abraham lying to, remember, with, with Gerar. And then we get to our text now. Now, in other words, that's what we've gone through. That's the history of how many times Abraham has encountered God where God has said, this is the deal. Now, let me ask you, do you read through the Bible? Do you, I mean, do you genuinely get alone and go, God, speak to me in this book? Because you do and you read something. You ever read something and go, yeah, that sounds so beautiful, abundant life and free and 
deed and I'm, a, I'm his workmanship, his masterpiece. And he who began a good work will be faithful to complete it in Christ Jesus. And I look at these verses and he's going to prepare a place for me. And then he's going to come back and, and get me. And he's loved me with an everlasting love. And he'll never leave me or forsake me. And all of his gifts and callings are without revoke. And I look at all of them and I think those are such great things. They just sort of apply to me. And somehow that makes sense to me. I don't, understand. I don't even know why. That's more insane than the truth of just going, wow, this really is, in, this is beyond comprehension that that really applies to me. And you think of all the promises that God has given you and we kind of hold on to those and go, yeah, but probably for, well, probably for Jay, sure. For coffee, sure, I can see how God's going to bore those out. So Landon, of course, or Luke, Sure. Me, sort of. And I really think that the more that we really believe these things is the demonstration of... And I'm, no, notice, I'm not saying God said, new Rolls Royce, 15-bedroom house somewhere in the countryside or something like that. You know, I mean, That's not in Scripture because to be honest, if you think that's the greatest prosperity God has to offer, you are selling Him short. I mean, you want that so you can get peace. He offered you the peace without it. I like that better because I don't have to pay taxes on the peace He gives me. I'm like, what if, what if someone gave you a Maserati? I'm like, awesome. I bet I could sell it and get a Jeep and pay some bills or whatever. And, and I, I look at this and I think, I mean, God, all the stuff people is look, are looking for that's tangible is just such a cheap counterfeit for what God really wants to give. And I'll think, this will make me happy if I have this. And I'm thinking, I'd rather just have joy where I don't have to have something that could be stolen or rust or corrupt. And so now here we are finishing our montage, ending up, on the shores of chapter 21. And the Lord visits Sarah and he did just like he promised. He did for Sarah. Just as he spoke. She was the one who got pregnant. She was the one who had the baby. He was the father of it. That's pretty evident. Which, by the way, the fact that this happens means there has to be some faith in it. Now, I don't want to get real graphic, but it's obvious because God didn't make her pregnant. God just allowed her to be pregnant, which means that takes two consenting adults. That means there's a 100-year-old or a 99-year-old man and an 89-year-old woman like, because we got to keep trying because he said so. That's an act of faith. I mean, I, I don't want to be gross, but let's be honest. And the Lord, I mean, strangely enough, and I, I, I don't want to get real bizarre in this, but the Lord visited during one of those events and she got pregnant. And imagine, all of a sudden she's like, hmm, so I feel kind of strange inside. I'm... I'm what did you feed me? I'm sick. I've been sick. I, we, what kind of flu is this? I've been throwing up for a month. Because let's be honest, at 90, 89 years old, there's just no way you think it's a baby. You're like, oh, I'm probably going to die. Whatever this thing is, it's probably, it's probably going to kill me. Wouldn't you think that? Wouldn't that make more sense? Than, I mean, think about it. You're throwing up and, and he's like, let me get you a pan. Oh, okay, wait a minute. Let me call someone and get you a pan. I mean, let's be honest. I'm sorry you're sick. God, please don't kill her. Please don't kill her. God's like, kill her? She's got more life in her than you think. Literally. You're like, look, I did it just like I promised. At this point, it's insane. And God goes, perfect, perfect. Now, the only answer left is God did it. I mean, could you imagine, what could you, now, let, let, put, this in, put this in you for a second. You're 89. You're, you know, 99. 
Uh, this is dangerous. I'm trying to look. I should, I'm trying to find a married couple around here. It's getting a little bit tough because engaged couples don't work out. Your wife's just pretend that Frida's next to you, okay? You're 99, she's 89, and she gets pregnant. Now, I mean, obviously, you know who that is. It's not like she's running off on it. And you can kind of look at that, and someone goes, now, how did you guys get pregnant? And, and that's impossible. Now, what kind of cockamamie plan could you come up with to give you guys credit for it? Vitamins. That was what it was. <laughs> Vitamins. I mean, when we think about like, what you could try, I mean, nothing you could say is going to make any real sense, you know? We exercise, <laughs> you know? Boy, that shuffleboard program and the bingo has really been working out for... I mean, think about all the things you could try to say. Now, the point is that God does that in our lives a lot of times, and we still want to try to go, well, you know... I mean, the first time we tell the story, it's like, God did this amazing thing. And then the third time, it's like, I was there and all this stuff happened. And and then God kind of came in and finished the job. And ten times later, it's like, I did this awesome thing and God was there. And God's like, wow, things have really changed since we started this thing. You were in wonder when we started. I mean, sooner or later, people are looking at it. It's like, wow, it was much more cool when it started when it was just the truth. And listen, God says this in Numbers 23.19. God says, God is, God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of a man that he should repent. He said it. Will he not do it? He's spoken it. Won't he make it good? Now, obviously, it's a rhetorical question. God says, look, if I said it, I'm going to finish it. That's just the bottom line. And you're like, but God. And God's like, I don't need your but gods at the moment. I need your faith. And you're like, but Lord, I... You entered into this relationship, and I, I remember walking in this relationship and feeling so pure and so loved, and, and then I got human again. And I'm like, wow, now I'm like filthy again, and I do stupid things, and I'm going to come up to God, and I'm like, God, do you still have a plan for my life? I mean, do you ever do that? You think somehow God's disqualified you because you've gone through some things now? and you, As if somewhere God got into the relationship and then found out who you really were. But let's be honest. He's the only person who ever got in a relationship with you and knew more about you than you did. I mean, let's be honest. If I wanted you to like me, I would totally give you all the good side of me and try to hide the rest of this stuff until I thought you were totally committed to me. Then maybe I'll eke out a little bit of the other stuff point by point and hope that you don't run off screaming. But in some stuff, we still lock up and just hope you just never, don't go near that wing and... And I realize, and we kind of, and it's like because of that, we kind of realize, well, God, if that wing ever opens up, you're like, oh, I didn't realize you were going to be like that. Deals off. And, and then we read someone like Abraham, and it's like God's just kind of hashing Abraham out, just like he would any of us. And then he's like, and let me tell you, one of my favorite scriptures is 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. This is Paul speaking now from the New Testament, if you're familiar, when he says this. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance that Christ Jesus died to save sinners. We kind of got that. He says, of whom I am worst. Okay, the word means chief. In other words, I am the president or prime minister of sinners. But for that reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ might display his unlimited patience. That's the word that always gets me. Because the only way you can be patient with someone is to deal through time as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. In other words, what Paul said was, God saved me so you could not possibly say he wouldn't save you. But the thing was, it wasn't like I just went, who's the worst person? Boom, you're saved. But he said, who's the worst person? I'll wait. 
I'll wait some more. I'll wait some more. How about now? How about now, Saul? How about now, Saul? This would be a good time. Saul, how about now? You're killing people. Saul, how about now? You're arresting people. Saul, how about now? You're blaspheming me. Saul, how about now? And he goes, he didn't just show great patience. He showed that he had no limit to that patience. That's what he showed. That's what he shows to all of us. Now, please hear me out. God finished it. He started it. He finished this. But he's not done yet with this precious child of promise. In this chapter, and I'll just do this quickly because that's our primary point here. It's really about the power of the word. In the first portion, God shows that he's faithful to his word to Abraham and to Sarah. In the second portion, he shows he's faithful to his word to Hagar and her son. In the third part, you see that Abram, having blown his word with Abimelech, has to back it up with a covenant. And then after the covenant, still has to set aside some animals to say, this just makes clear as a witness. That's what happens when we're like that because we don't have that faithfulness to our word that God did. So you see, God's faithfulness, God's faithfulness, man trying to back it up to make it look faithful. Verse 3, Abraham called the name of his son Isaac because God said, remember, if he's born, I want you to name him that, Genesis 17, 19, and then he circumcised his son, just as God said, if he's going to, if, if this child does come, then that needs to happen, right? That's seventeen eleven. So Abraham did actually obey God. He was 100. She was 90. She said, now that's, this is going to be the funniest thing anyone's ever heard. Don't laugh. 17, 17, he laughed. 18, 11, she laughed. And then it's funny because it isn't just, and I, again, I don't want to get graphic, but she said, well, who would ever thought I'd be nursing at 90? Now, perhaps you're in one of those situations. It is cer- certainly, infinitely one of the most awkward situations you could possibly be in when a mother starts nursing next to you on this, the underground or a bus. And um, <coughs> and you're, there's thousands of people, so you can't just get up. Not that that's common, but or that ever happened. It's hypothetical. Anyways, um, <laughs> And, you know, there's no way to not know that's happening. But the, but if the gal were 90, I don't even know. I, 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 wouldn't ha- I don't have a category for that weird. I think about it. She's like, care, honey. And I don't want to get graphic, but there's a part of me that thinks, this is one of those things I'm going to go home and say, you won't believe what I saw today <laughs> or didn't see, didn't want to see or whatever. And you see, and what you're doing, your response is exactly what she said. She said, we would laugh at that. And you're like, yeah, yeah, we would. And that transcends culture. 90-year-old women nursing babies transcend the weird culture, weird level on every culture. And the child was raised and weaned. It got to the point children are normally weaned, by the way, at ages 3, 4, by the way, in the Middle East. And so baby's old enough to talk. And... It's, and what's interesting, verse 8, it says, Abraham gave a great feast. So it's sort of like, so now you're kind of off the milk diet, let's actually get some... And she makes a big feast. This is what you got for it. Now that you... And, and by the way, please don't miss this. And I, Because there is something really cool about it. There's, awaiting this boy was a feast. All he had to do was, was grow up a little bit. And for all of us, the moment we say yes to Jesus, God says, hey, look, desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. But there is a feast awaiting you. I just want you to grow up a little bit before you get it. And there will be people who will live 
I mean, let's be honest. The older you get, the weirder it gets, the breastfeed. And, I mean, you get about 13, and there's just nothing right about that at all. And, and, but there are going to be people that are going to be walking with Christ, but they're really not in the Word of God, so they're still just kind of... Uh, you you kind of get the idea, and you go, this is just weird. But there's a feast on the other side of this. But un- inevitably, because there's a feast, that causes this 13, 14-year-old boy to start flipping out. And that's the, that's the point. It says in verse 9, Sarah saw then this, the boy, this is Ishmael, and he's scoffing. The word for what it's worth is a witzakach. And the word means to scorn, to laugh at. So she says, get rid of him. Now, um, please understand, if you're going to trust someone's word, three things need to be there. Honesty, intent, and ability. And it's important to recognize that if we don't have any one of those missing, will not cause you to have faith in someone's word. If they're not totally honest with you, they could say, well, you know, that's, that's not really what I meant, but you know that's what they meant. Or the intent where they really don't have the intent to do it in the first place. Or they don't have the ability. There are some people that really have the best intentions. They just don't have the capability to actually make it happen. But God is fully capable. He's fully honest. And his intent's always for us. Now, in this particular situation, I don't want you to miss this really fundamental point. She, she goes, all right, cast her out. And for what it's worth, in Galatians chapter 4, God uses this as an example when he talks about those that want to get back into the law. And he says, you need to recognize two children were born to Abraham, but one was born a slave child and one was born a free child of promise. Which child do you want to associate with? And it's interesting, as according to that, he says, if you want to just try to get your righteousness from doing the law, you're going to be the child of the slave. He says, you don't want to be that. That child was cast out with his family. So then the other side, you want to be a child of the promise. But as the child of the promise was criticized and mocked by the slave child, so it's going to happen to you. In other words, you should expect if you celebrate the freedom of Jesus Christ that people who are trying to get right by their own works are going to make fun of you. We're not just talking about the world. We're talking about people who are actually in that situation. But here's the most amazing part. So they, and, and, and you notice he didn't give her a lot. He gave her a skin of water and some bread. And that tells you something. I mean, you'd think that he would have given like a handful of camels with a handful of gifts. Later on, he's going to have a bunch of other kids. <laughs> Hats off to Abraham. And, and with that, he's going to send them all off with gifts. This gal he sends off with water and with bread, and they get into the middle of the wilderness. Now understand, Beersheba is an area that's the Negev Desert. I mean, it's south, it's just dry, it's arid, and she runs out, and she falls over, and she lays down her child under a shrub because it's hot, it's the desert, and she just goes a bow shot away and just falls down and just goes, can I just die first? Because it'll be at least not as bad if I don't have to watch him die. And she's just bawling her eyes out. Notice, though, that's, she says that to herself. There's no prayer in that. But God still hears it anyways. And interesting, he doesn't say I heard her voice. He said, I heard the voice of your son. Here's the most amazing part to me. He says, look, didn't I promise you that this was going to work out? I'm going to keep my word. But then he opens her eyes. And I want you to figure this one out. So here she is. She's a bow shot away. She's like, just let me die first, please. I just want to die. And God opens it. She's like, I'm just having out any water. And there's no just. No, I'm just dying out of water. And then says, God opens her eyes as well. And she's like, oh, no. Oh. How'd that get there? She was about to die of thirst next to a well. Is there something strange about that to you? But that's the point. Because it happens to every one of us when our eyes are in the wrong place. We're like, oh, God, this is awful. It's because all I can see is this. Stuff. And God's like, funny, I thought you were praying to me. 
Um, didn't you say something about Almighty? Does that mean anything to you? And are you in that place right now? Are you in that place where you feel like you're dying and you're next to the well? You're just like, or you just feel like you're shriveling and you're decaying. And God's like, you know, could we just be alone for a moment? And I'm going to open your eyes. Now, here's the crazy thing. Now, this really hurts Abraham. He has to say goodbye to his family. Think about it. This is family for him. But look at, if God said it, trust him because he still can take care of your family. I've learned that from this. And then we have verse 22 for the last part. Came to pass in that day, Abimelech and this guy named Fickle. Could you say Fickle? That's interesting because for what it's worth, Fick means mouth, Chol means all. So his name literally means all mouth. <laughs> yeah, that's the kind of commander you want. He's all mouth. And he goes, you know, I kind of recognize God's with you in everything you do. Will you swear to me by God? Not just make an agreement and shake hands, but you, because your words meant nothing to me up to this point, we're going to really need, I need you to sign a contract and my lawyer's here to make sure that as a witness kind of thing. I mean, think about it. Abimelech could have done this on his own, but he brought his commander. Why did he bring his commander? Because he needed a witness to make sure of it. That's how cheap Abraham's word had gotten. That's really sad. Now understand, this is no insult to anyone. It, all it is is it just shows this is what happens when we think we kind of got away with something in the last chapter. We're still paying the price for it here. Did you notice that? And, and understand, God wants us to be, it's like, but if I'm honest, I'm not going to get what you promised me, God. And God's like, did you have to think that you had to lie for me to do what I had to do? Like, how about if you just trusted me? You go, but that wouldn't make sense. God goes, perfect. Then I'm bigger than your logic. That's a good God and a big God. All right, I'll swear. Well, then there's this argument. Well, you know, I thought we were going to be at peace. You took my well. Now, did you notice in both of those cases there was a well? In one case, God promised and he took care of it. And in the second case, they're arguing over a well for a guy that they're not sure if his word is true. And the king's like, I don't know anything about it. I don't know what you're talking about. And he's like, this is my well. We, my servants dug this well. No, please understand. This is that same wilderness. She just went basically towards Saudi Arabia. That's where Hagar went. That's interesting. Her son, I mean, when people start talking about that they're direct descendants of Ishmael, they better call themselves to some degree Egyptian because she's Egyptian and his wife's Egyptian. That should tell you something to start with. No, I mean, that's just clear in text. Here now, she's she sort of heading off to Saudi Arabia with her son now who's now married. So apparently he's going to have those kids God promised. And, and in this situation now, Abram's in this, he's now in the desert in the Gev and he's looking, he's like, hey, water's kind of a big issue here. This is my well and you guys are trying to, to claim it. And what's wrong with you, king? And the king's like, well, I don't know what you're talking about. And he's like, look it, here's the deal. We need to make a deal. We need to swear. I don't even trust you now. And he doesn't trust Abimelech. Now, there, uh, what's strange is Abimelech, if you think about it, has given him no reason not to trust him. Abimelech actually has been, at least according to this chapter, he's been pretty straightforward. Now, that's in no way to try to make Abimelech a better man than Abram. They're both people who need saving. Every human being is. Here's the point. If you live in a place where you're still trying to make things happen and you're still trying to bend the rules to get there, you're not going to trust anybody else. You're going to think they are too. I've heard this old Indian proverb about a guy, two kids that were swapping. One kid had a lot of marbles and one kid had a lot of candy. And they said, I tell you what, I'm really tired of my marbles. The other kid says, I'm tired of my candy. Let's just swap tomorrow. Tomorrow we'll swap. Perfect. I'll go get my marbles. You go get your candy. Well, that night, the kid who had the marbles took the three or four that he liked the most and he kept them. Put the rest in his bag and walked out there. Uh, this is all your marbles? Yeah, this is all my marbles. But the kid with the candy just gave up all his candy. 
So when they swapped that night, the kid who now got the marbles and left his candy behind slept fine. But the other kid stayed awake at night wondering what candy the other kid had left and taken for himself. It's just the way we live. It's kind of like you, if somebody's constantly suspicious, you might want to think why. And I think it's interesting in this text that Abraham's now look at, you need to swear to me now. You need to swear to me. Come on, I'm setting aside these animals as a testimony so that everybody can know this is a witness that this really is my well. And I just want you to recognize in this, God's really serious. Now, in the end of it all, that's something we're all going to need to deal with. Because truth be told, in this world, people are always going to try to be, you know this, come on, give me a little change, I just need it for a phone call. Funny, why don't I can see the imprint of the cell phone in your pocket. Why don't you use that? I need to use the cell phone. Oh, I just want to get some food. Oh, come on, we know better. And you know, I mean, there's always, and everything's three easy payments, and oh, and I'm a happy customer. And you know, and you kind of get all of that, and you realize everybody's selling you something, and you just you always feel like someone's out there to try to get a little bit more. And then you go to church, and you kind of, if you feel like that here, I just look at, we'll never pass a hat because we don't want you to think we want your money. You can give if you want to, but man, I'm telling you what, because we'll try to do whatever we can to try to keep that from being the case. But look at, we recognize this as we go to prayer, that the church is made up of human beings. But in that, God wants to heal you from what you've gone through with other people. And he probably wants to heal, I'm sure he wants to heal them from what you may have probably done to them too. The good news in all of this is that God keeps his word. And we want to be more like him. So may we be people who keep our word as he keeps. Now, as we go to prayer, let me tell you the most important word that was ever kept. God promised the moment man and woman fell that he would send someone that would crush all authority of the enemy. He would be born of a virgin. He would be of the seed of David, the tribe of Judah. He would be a king and a priest, which made no sense to anyone that didn't reconcile. According to Scripture, he would be born in Nazareth, I'm sorry, he would be born in Bethlehem, called a Nazarene, and yet be called out of Egypt. That didn't make any sense. But God knew how to reconcile those. He would be someone that would be a friend of sinners. He would be called mighty God and yet be fully man. He would be called the king of all kings and yet he would be the servant of all. And that made no sense. He would be somebody that would be given a grave with the wicked. I'm sorry, he would be killed like a common criminal but yet given a grave with the rich. That made no sense. He'd be somebody that would be utterly killed and yet his body would never see corruption. He would rise from the dead. That makes no sense. But God didn't tell us we had to figure out all those things. What he told us is, believe me, when it comes time, at the, at the set time, it'll all make sense to you because it really is bigger than you can figure out. And a person that thinks they figured out this book completely, I don't know. I'm a little concerned about that. I'd rather just have my mind blown, ooze out of my ears, and praise God that it's bigger than me. But I do want to know him. That's the biggest thing is I want to know him and I want to know him well. The question is, if all of that truly did happen and what he's asking is for your surrender, not your constant works and efforts, but your surrender to his gift of Jesus Christ who died on the cross and rose again, have you accepted that gift? Before any of the other stuff. Because as much as you want to try to make fun of it or try to disqualify it or whatever the case is, you can't deny the fact that it had been promised for thousands of years before. And you can't write it after the fact because it had been closed 400 years before even that point and translated into Greek. And then God says, now take a look at this. What are you going to do with this? This one, this son that will be everlasting father, mighty God, prince of peace. 
born of a virgin. And in the end of it all, that risen Savior wants to be your Lord, your friend, your master. He doesn't need your help. He just wants your love. And as we go to prayer, that's a choice you'll need to make. If you have said yes, what promises has he put on your heart that maybe haven't come to pass yet? Are you trying to help him out? Trying to squeeze and sort of finagle and bend the things instead of saying, God, well, that seems bigger than, us, than I'm humanly capable of. And God says, perfect. That means I get the credit, right? I get the credit. And you're like, no, how about if I just help you out and we share it? And God's like, why would I want to share something that only I can do? Would you pray with me? Lord, I want to thank you so much for this beautiful text. Clearly, there is amazing stuff in here, all over it. And I know, Lord, we've barely scratched the surface of so much, but getting an understanding of this text, at least we can walk out of here knowing you keep your word. You tell us, Lord, in Isaiah 40, verse 8, that the grass withers, the flower fades, but your word stands forever. You tell us in Matthew 24, Jesus, you taught us this in 35, that heaven and earth will pass away, but your words will never pass away. You promise us in Psalm 89, verse 34, that your covenant you won't break. Now, will you alter even a word that's gone from your lips? You promise in Isaiah 51 that your salvation will be forever, as will your righteousness. In Isaiah 54, that your kindness and your covenant of peace will never be removed. Thank you for that. Thank you in Romans 11 that your gifts and callings are irrevocable. Thank you that when you said it, will you not bring it to pass? Of course you will. Lord, you didn't say, will you bring it to pass on our timetable? You said you'd bring it to pass on yours. And often you wait till it's impossible for us. Thank you for that. But give us the faith, Lord, to get excited when things are impossible. Because you are the God of impossible who keeps your word. And so, Lord, right now I just pray for every person in here. If they are struggling with whether or not you're real, whether or not you're real for them, and not just for some elite group or whatever, Lord, I just pray right now that you would show them the very danger of where they're at at the moment if they're running from you, Lord, and show them the sheer delight and pleasure of surrendering to you. And right now, if there be any who have not yet said yes to Jesus or you've just been, you've walked away from Him and you haven't been near Him for any period of time or you've been running from Him, but the Bible says that nothing can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. But if you're trying to run from Him right now, you're thinking, well, I don't see His love in front of me when you're running. Chances are it's riding your back until you say yes again. So I just pray right now, if you want to rededicate your life to the Lord, or right now if you just want to say yes and it's the first time, then pray this prayer with me right now. God, I, I confess to you, I need you. I, I know that the world out there would love to convince me otherwise, but I need you. I need a Savior and you are the Savior. I need life and you are the life. I need, I need the direction and you are the way. I need truth and you are the truth. And I recognize that you didn't just say nice things and do nice things and hope I would figure it out. You died for me that I could have life and that my guilt could be paid for. And you rose again so that I could have that new life, resurrected life. So I pray right now that you would just take the filth I am, the filth that I've made of it, and that you would right now wash me clean and give me the new life. But I recognize you're not just going to set me free at that point. You want to hold me and develop me and change me and shape me and reinvent me. So I give you rights to all parts of my life, calling you my Lord. Have me now. And if that's your prayer with me right now, saying amen is saying, I agree. 
so be it. Let those be my words. That's the case I ask you to say right now. Amen. Lord, I pray right now for every believer in this room, myself included. Lord, if there be any promises you've made, be them however grandiose, be them however crazy and magnificent and wild, whatever they are, Lord, if they're your promises, reinstill them in our hearts right now. That perhaps time has had the opportunity to dull, to blur edges. Lord, your gospel is still the power of salvation. Your Holy Spirit is still the one who convicts. Your word still never returns empty. We're the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I want to trust you in that. So I pray right now that you reinstill that faith that you keep your word. I pray for those struggling in sin, Lord, that, um, that they, they know they shouldn't be in and they think that, that I shouldn't even be near this. And I, 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 I'm old enough now to know better. I pray, Lord, for those who are in that situation. You reinstill them the, the, to show them how you want to pull them out of it even right now. I pray for those, Lord, who have been living kind of a milk, a milky life when you've called them to better. Lord, show them the feast that awaits them as they mature in you. And I pray for every one of us, Lord, that we will fall in love with you even as you love us. And God, in that I pray right now that you would set us out of here encouraged and ready, Lord, for whatever this world may try to throw at us because you are our shield, you are our rear guard, you are our hedge, our fortress, our rock of defense. And no weapon formed against us can prosper. You are a shield about us, our glory and the lifter of our heads. Remind us of that, I pray. And may we find sweet rest and peace in you now. And Lord, in that greater are you who is in us than he who is in the world. May we trust in the God who is perfect, who is almighty, and absolutely in love with us. In Jesus' name, if you agree, I ask you to say, Amen.